get out of the pool already, you two. Carolyn Crawford, September 4th, 2030. My name is Jane Crawford, and when I look at you, Julian, your name isn't Julian. It's failure, slashed hopes, crushed dreams. Your pudgy fists bounce up and down to a beat only you can hear, because you don't know any better, and so you're happy all the time. It makes me want to hold those little fists in place and squeeze them tight. Squeeze them until tiny tears push out of the corners of your eyes and you come back down to where I am. Your fists stop dancing on their own and I breathe deeply. I need to stop thinking these thoughts. I know that. It's just so hard. I try to get comfortable on the cold linoleum of the basement floor. It's your fault, you know, I say as I wipe a string of drool from your O-shaped expression. It's your fault I had to move back in with Mom and Dad. You look up at me with those eyes, and they are such a familiar, severe blue that it makes my chest hurt, and I realize you don't know anything at all. My right fist balls around the dirty towel I use for your spit-up, and I push it hard against your fat cheek. Just once. Just enough to make you stop smiling, and so you make that expression where you concentrate on the tip of your nose, contemplating if it's worth crying over. I wish I could cry too, Julian. Ever since you arrived, I wish I could cry. You're almost seven months old, did you know that? The injured cheek is forgotten with the sound of my voice, and a wave of guilt washes over me, as he squeals in delight. Julian is happy as long as he is with me. But I am cursed and wrong and broken, and I don't feel the same way. I want to love you. I whisper so quietly, not even I can hear myself over the dehumidifier humming in the corner. More spit up. I wipe it away, close my eyes, don't let my fist ball. Be stronger, Jane, be better. You're not like this. You were never like this. Remember yourself. Remember who you were the last time you lived in this house and be her again. I almost laugh. When I left this house, never thinking in a million years I would return for more than a week, I was 18 years old. I left with so much hope strapped to my body, I basically flowed through the front door and into the back seat of my parents' car so they could drive me to my freshman year of college. All of my hopes have been severed and sunk along the way. Now here I am, back again. Eighteen-year-old me would not approve. Eighteen-year-old me would scream at me that I should have gotten on a plane and done what needed to be done. And yes, I could have gone to Europe and avoided all of this. But the tickets are so expensive. And everyone would know. Last-minute trips to Europe raise eyebrows and set the rumor mill going, and of course, there is the possibility of jail if someone can prove it. It's rare, but it does happen. In the end, it didn't seem worth the risk. Besides, eventually this is something we had, maybe, possibly, wanted anyway. But without the time to weigh our options, we folded into the role of parents like bad poker players. Well, one of us folded into the role of parent anyway. 
I still love him. It cuts most at night, and I wake from these dreams where we're together again. We don't talk in the dreams I have. We're slow dancing like in a sappy teen movie. Crooning comes from somewhere, and we're swaying back and forth, my head against his shoulder. I can't see his face, but I know every part of him, and the crook of his neck feels so familiar. I want to stay right there on his shoulder, want to live in the dream forever. It's usually Julian that tears me away from him. Julian's cries echo off the corners in the tiny basement bedroom. It's like there's a bullhorn above his crib, from rom-com to horror in under a second. It's disorienting. Sometimes I burrow my head into the pillow, wrap it all the way around, try to get back to swaying with him on the dance floor in my dreams, but it's no use. Julian has an impressive set of lungs, and I swear they pump in air just so he can scream it back out at me. We used to really dance like that. It's kind of silly, I know. But I loved it. It was one of the many things I loved about us. It didn't matter where we were. Walking through the park or down Fifth Avenue, we'd duck behind a tree or onto a stoop, and we'd hug each other close and sway, sway just for a moment. Quiet reassurance in a loud place. Forget about the world and our worries, and I was so convinced then that we could survive anything together. When I got stuck on my dissertation, we swayed under a bridge in the park. When his deal at work went sour, we swayed outside of his Starbucks. Having a baby, we never did sway to that. Every time when Julian's screams prevail and the dream leaks from my brain into the mattress, I remember what he did, and for a little while the burden of still loving him goes away, and I have the strength to get up and feed our child without him there to help me. My dad is obsessed with the pool in the backyard. I think it's his way of dealing with retirement. The basement is at ground level, and I can see him through the small window as he works away out there. He's constantly checking the pH of the water, and when the drops of water get too yellow or too red when he adds them to what looks like a children's science kit, he shakes his head at it. Not like he's shaking his head no, but like a horse that is about to buck. Angry, flared nostrils, like he can't believe this is happening to him. We have a routine, Julian and I. I think it's helping me cope, helping me come to terms. Building some kind of structure to stop me from collapsing. After breakfast, my parents usually go out for the day. Something they started doing after my dad retired. A museum, a coffee shop, the grocery store, just something to get out of the house. I hold Julian in the driveway as they back out in my dad's gift to himself, a sporty little two-seater that he bought the day his retirement kicked in. We wave. They wave. We go back into the house. I go downstairs and I get two towels, one for me, one for the baby. Then I lather SPF 30 onto both of us, thick, because I don't want either of us to get visible burns. Then in we go. The only time I feel like I can breathe is when I'm underwater. No one can get to me there. Julian's cries are muffled, but he rarely cries when we go for our swims, so I think he enjoys them as much as I do. Two planks floating along lazily, 
me beneath the water, and Julian facing the sky above as I hold him with my arms outstretched above me. Everything in me relaxes when we push off into the deep end. I stay close to the surface, purse my lips, and suck in the summer air so I don't have to come up at all. Our swims have made me stronger. My legs are muscled, and my arms taut from holding the 17-pound weight above me. My fitness instructors from three years ago would have been impressed. The air I'm sucking in this morning seems wrong. Cooler. Summer is ending. A whiplash of panic shoots through me because I don't want to lose our routine. New England winters don't exactly allow for lazy afternoon swims. What will I do once temperatures drop? My thoughts jumble, and I briefly consider moving to Florida. But I don't have enough money to move to Florida, and definitely not enough to live anywhere with my own private pool so I can keep doing our routine. I don't panic for long. The water around me is placid, like a giant, warm hug, and I let my worries slip into it. I'll figure winter out later. I suck in a big stream of air. It's still warm. I have time, I think to myself. I still have plenty of time to figure out a way to stick to our routine. The sky above starts to gray, and it starts to rain. Splotches from above that disrupt the surface like tiny cannonballs. I paddle towards the steps in the shallow end, hold in a sigh and stand upright, pulling Julian into my chest. He's sniffling, about to cry. The rain is cold, but deceiving. By the time we've gone inside to dry off, it's already over. The sun is out again, and I curse under my breath as I try to squeeze sunblock out of the ancient bottle so we can go back outside. My parents won't be home for another twenty minutes, and I don't want to waste them in here. But the bottle is completely empty, and no pounding, flattening, or squeezing can get any more of the goopy cream out of it. It's not worth the risk. But I want to go into the pool so badly. I stare at the pool, its water clear and inviting, and I feel like it's mocking me, and like my dad is mocking me for making the water so fucking perfect, and that even the weather is toying with me, making us towel off when there's no sunblock left in the bottle. Julian starts to cry for no reason. Fuck you! I hiss at him. Jesus, Jane. Jesus. I've always done everything the way I was supposed to. I love rules, and plans, and big pictures, and things were supposed to go to my well-laid plan. I did well in high school to go to a good college. I did well in college to get into a good graduate program. Then I met him, the man I was supposed to grow old with. He was supposed to be there, cheering me on at my graduation. We were going to have amazing careers and the perfect life together traveling the world and taking important phone calls and making love in warm oceans. At least that's what I'd pictured in my head. We married within a year, and I still don't think that was a mistake. We lasted a while, considering. Because I had a deadline for the first half of my dissertation, we couldn't go on our honeymoon right away. The history of woman's role in the early Roman Empire, not much to go on. Women weren't allowed to write back then, and all the accounts were written by men. I had to read between the lines to glean information. 
but he was patient. He said we didn't need to go on our trip right away, that he respected me for putting my work first. I loved him even more for that. It was almost a year later when we finally got away. I was close to finishing my dissertation by then. Two years tops, my mentor told me, and you'll be on your way to great things. Two years seems like nothing. Our honeymoon was a week spent on white sandy beaches. Julian was conceived in a tiny room on a hillside made of stone equally white. I'd erase that entire goddamn week if I could, beaches and all. I flipped through the stations on my parents' TV with him on my lap, eyeing the pool through the screen porch. We came back from the honeymoon, happy and tan, back to work within a day, our lives going back to normal like nothing had happened. But I could feel it somehow. New aches I'd never had before. The sides of my chest groaned with them. Bras became the enemy as my breasts grew tender. And I knew something was wrong, but I didn't want to think about it, because we just spent all our money on the tickets to Greece. Maybe I could claim we'd forgotten something there, a flimsy excuse to board a plane and return, just in case my fears were confirmed. Five weeks later, I peed on the stick of a pregnancy test. I stared at the plastic wand, shaped like a thermometer, and shook it, like it really was one, like my mother used to before she'd shove it in my mouth as a kid. Reset. Please reset. I kept shaking it but it wouldn't. When I told him, he wasn't happy. There were no photos of us posted online with him pointing to my belly and smiling. We weren't ready, and we knew it. There was a lot of sighing and silence. We stopped touching each other because that's how the whole mess had started, and I felt so alone. But I didn't want to touch him either. I wish I had planned for this but I didn't know how to plan for something I didn't want in the first place. The sound of the garage door startles me. I must have nodded off. Julian has drooled all over me, but it's okay. I'm still wrapped in a towel. I quickly take him downstairs and change into sweats and a t-shirt. My parents don't need to know about our little swim routine. Dad would probably worry Julian might make the pool dirty. I dress Julian in a onesie that reads, My mom says I'm the coolest, and head upstairs. Have a nice time? I ask, and my parents turn away from the plastic bags on the counter. My mother laughs. Yes, we had a magical time at the stop and save. Shoot, Dave, did you get the big trash bags? There's rustling as they both search the sea of bags. No, we must have forgotten them. My dad stands back and scratches the back of his head. I can go get them, I offer. I am out of sunblock, and this is the perfect excuse to go to the store. They turn slowly to face me. My parents have been cautious around me. I think they are trying to tread lightly, which is in sharp contrast to my teenage years. My mother didn't accept knocking as a concept then, so the fact that they've put on their kid gloves now has made it weird between us. Are you sure? My mother says, and I can tell she's trying to gauge me somehow. Yeah, why not? 
It's not the first time I've gone to the grocery store. It's a ten-minute drive, and I know how to drive. Dad taught me, after all. I laugh a little, but it sounds forced. My mom inhales, and it looks like a deep sigh, but she emits no sound. It's just... You've seemed a bit tired lately, that's all. I can get the bags tomorrow. No, it's fine. Julian and I can go, right, buddy? I turn to him, bouncing him on my hip like I've seen other women do. Oh no, that's okay. We can take care of him while you go to the store. We could use the quality time anyway, right, little guy? My mother is making some sort of face that she thinks babies like and is coming closer to pinch Julian's cheek. I turn and deny her. Her face drops and sags in disappointment. When did she get so old? My dad hands me the keys to the Ford. No zippy two-seater for Julian and I. My mother gives him a warning side glance, but he shrugs. Grab some OJ while you're there, he says. I let my mother hold Julian while I put on my sneakers, and it feels like I have to tear him from her arms to put him in the booster seat in the back of the Ford. Mom, we'll be back in like 30 minutes. Relax. I have my phone if you want me to grab anything else. Of course. See you soon. Feigning a chipper smile, she waves us off and we back out and onto the street. She walks out after us and doesn't stop waving until we take a right out onto the main road. We pull into the supermarket parking lot. It's empty, but I decide to park on the far end from the supermarket. I like walking. I miss walking. The suburbs don't let you walk like cities do. I'm halfway across the lot when it starts to rain, hard. Summer impulse showers, formed from heat and sticky humidity, the kind of drops that sting your skin, make you wish your arms were thick with hair to fend them off. Within five seconds, we are completely drenched. I stop walking towards the store, just stand there, getting soaked. Why didn't I park closer? Why didn't I anticipate this after the rain earlier? Why am I not one of those mothers that carries an umbrella in her purse? Jesus, I don't even carry a purse. I look down at Julian. He is drenched. I can already feel the stares of the people inside the store, the stares that say, you're the bad mom who let her kid get wet in the rain because she couldn't think ahead. A scream bubbles up in the back of my throat, and I close my eyes as if I can stop it from leaking out as long as I don't have to look at the rain or at Julian. Before the baby, I never thought about this kind of stuff. No one judges a grown-up if they're soaked and alone. But with Julian strapped to my chest and my stylish yoga sling, it feels delinquent. I feel incompetent. I swallow again, but the scream is bubbling like an angry pot of water now, and it's a good thing that the lot is so empty, and that the rain is coming down in loud, hard streaks around me. I get into the store, and the sun is already coming out again. It's a trick, I think. It's a trick to drive me crazy. I should have waited in the car for it to pass, why didn't I think to sit in the car until it stopped? I'm so stupid. I'm the worst mother. But then things take a turn. There is a nice lady who works at the store, and she knows my parents, because it's that kind of town. She whisks me off to the aisle with the paper towels, and she helps me dab them on Julian, 
and it dries him and his onesie better than I'd expect them to. Maybe paper towels are the answer to everything, and everyone just forgot to tell me about it. One morning, I woke up and realized my life was gone. It took so long to get to the place I was before it fell apart that free fall didn't make sense. If my life were to fall apart, I expected a slow, steady decline. But then he was gone, other than the photos of us as a happy couple still tucked into frames all over the apartment. My dissertation was over with, too. I had missed too many deadlines, stretched the goodwill of my mentor too thin. Not writing a single word for five months will do that. But I just couldn't do it all on my own, and he wasn't helping me. Too busy with work, too busy with anything else that wasn't staying in the apartment and helping me take care of Julian. He'd go out with his friends while I never saw mine again after they came by for a quick peek to see the baby. It wasn't their fault. My friends had lives, and babies are boring. He'd come home drunk, and I'd scream at him. I would be the shrew of a wife I used to roll my eyes at. And in response, he would wave me off and pass out in his clothes on top of the duvet. And he would stink up the room with the sweet, thick smell of alcohol. The only person who hated Julian more than me was him. Not once did he feed him or change a diaper. He looked at the tiny boy like a stray dog I'd brought home from the street. His stuff will get on my shirt, was all he said in the short moments he was around, and he would look at me like I would get his suit dirty too, because I was covered head to toe and spit up and breast milk and literal shit. In the end, I just needed someone to tell me what to do, because I couldn't do it myself. The day the email came that confirmed I was officially withdrawing from the history department, I called my mom. I need help, I said as soon as the phone picked up. I'll go get your mother. My dad mumbled, and I could hear him as he put down the receiver and shuffled through the kitchen and yelled my mom's name up the stairs. I hated myself so much in that moment, and him, and most of all, Julian, I hate it you. I get home and my parents have turned the groceries into a meal. We pull the high chair up to the table and I spoon green goop into Julian's mouth while we try to have a normal conversation, but my parents love Julian far too much for that. They are so enamored by his uncoordinated eating that they can't listen to me and I feel selfish for even wanting them to. So we eat dinner as we do ever since I return to live in the basement. They watch me feed Julian as my own dinner grows cold, until he's done and has managed to get at least some of the goop into his mouth and down his esophagus. Then I spend three minutes shoveling my meal down. Swimming really gives me an appetite. They don't tell me about the letter until I finish shoveling the noodles down my throat, but when I look up, my dad's expression is like a mask I've seen him put on since I was a little girl. The worried dad mask. What's up? I turn to my mother, and she too looks uncomfortable. We checked the mail while you were out. She swallows a sigh and stands up to get it from the counter. It's from a lawyer in New York, she says over her shoulder. I say nothing as I take it from her, and for once I don't make a fuss about them wanting to take Julian for a while. With the letter clutched in my hand, I go downstairs and into my small bedroom. 
With my feet propped onto the crib's edge, I lie down onto the bed and slowly open it. Even though I know what's inside, there's some strange feeling of cruel hope. Maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe this letter is a letter of reconciliation he sent from his lawyer's office. The lines are single-spaced, official-looking. A sticker in the shape of an arrow, glowing neon pink, indicates where I am to sign. He couldn't even do it in person. But I realize I still love him, even then. Because he was my life, before I became the person who dropped out of grad school and went to live in her parents' basement. The urge to rip up the pages grows so strong, I have to drop the letter onto the floor behind me. I'll sign them tomorrow. Or maybe never. He can't make me. The ring on my finger feels like it's burning my skin, and I want to rip it off with my teeth. But I leave it on, even though it feels like it weighs a thousand pounds. I knew something was wrong the same way I did when my boobs started to ache. Nothing grossly out of the ordinary, just small, nagging things that didn't quite add up. The late night out with friends, the avoidance of touching me, even on the nights I had the energy to shower and approach him all smiles. The long black hairs that I kept finding in the laundry that were definitely not mine. The worst was the way he looked at me, like I was in the way of something more exciting like there was a mound of gold placed behind me at all times. Then, one night, he came home drunk after a client meeting and passed out cold. I plucked the phone from the pocket of his dress pants he hadn't bothered to take off. He was too drunk to notice when I pressed his thumb up to his phone to unlock it. And there they were. He wasn't even trying to hide it very well. Texts. Texts and photos her real name right at the top of the list, because she was the one he messaged the most. My name was seven down the line. Shit, he texted Rebecca in accounting more than he texted me. But then again, her texts were cute and flirty, and mine were about when he'd be home or picking up bread and peanut butter from the store. I'd text Rebecca over me, too. I slid the phone back into his pocket, he wouldn't know for two weeks that I knew about the woman with the long black hair, about her cool job at an art gallery, that it was a cushy job where she got off at five and four on Thursdays. He didn't find out until I showed up at her gallery, pushing Julian in a stroller ahead of me like I was going to ram down the door and fight her for him. We didn't fight. Instead, she took one look at me and ran the other way. It's hard to run with a stroller. I've seen moms do it, but they're the extra sporty kind. The ones that wear bright running shoes to make sure you acknowledge their efforts. The cool girl from the art gallery with the long black hair lost me in the afterwork crowd, and then it took me over an hour to get all the way back uptown on the packed subway. When he got home that night, he didn't say much. He didn't beg, and why should he? He was married to a crazy woman and had a baby with her that wasn't planned and that he didn't really want. He had just won his get-out-of-jail-free card thanks to my little stunt of stalking his new girlfriend. He packed a bag that night. He didn't want my forgiveness. He just wanted to leave me. Said he would stay at her place for now, but meant forever. 
After he left, I sat on his side of the bed, with Julian in my arms, too numb to cry. I looked at the stacks of paper on the desk across from me. Remnants of my studies, a life so far removed from me then I could never grasp it again. Not with Julian in my arms. I squeezed him closer then, and I didn't stop until he cried. The next morning, Julian is running a fever and his nose is running, and he cries because he's so uncomfortable. I wait downstairs until my parents finish breakfast. Then I listen for the garage door so we can start our daily routine. I'm sure Julian will be fine to go swimming, even though he's got a little bit of a cold. The new sunblock is smooth like olive oil, and Julian perks up as I lather his soft skin. He likes being touched, especially by me. I know! It's swim time! It's so exciting! I try to make my voice sound cheery, motherly. Julian beams at me, his chubby cheeks plumping into red round balls. I lift him up and walk to the other side of the bed to grab my phone from the nightstand. The crinkling sound of paper beneath my feet reminds me of the letter from the night before. I don't look down, but go straight out back without grabbing the towels from the linen closet. Right out the back, straight to the pool. I am walking on the dirt and the red tiles of the walkway, but all I can feel beneath my feet is the paper crinkling. Straight shot into the pool, right down the steps. Relief. The water engulfs my thighs and I exhale deeply. Barrel towards the deep end. Water up to my chest and I exhale again, holding Julian in front of me as he coughs a little, but squeals in delight as his toes splash in the warm water. I flip onto my back and extend Julian up to the sky so he can look at the puffy white clouds above. Kicking, I make my way to the deep end of the pool. The world beneath the surface is silent. Halfway to the deep end of the pool, I let my left hand drop, balancing Julian on my right palm. The diamond scrapes along the bottom of the pool, and I am shocked that I can hear its chafing. I keep paddling with my feet, and I don't know why, but I can't get myself to detach the diamond from the bottom of the pool. A large bubble escapes from Julian, seesawing on my right palm, and for a moment I wonder if he's screaming. I wonder if that's even possible. I close my eyes and inhale. My lungs burn from the ache for oxygen, but I close my eyes tighter and it's bearable. It feels like I'm about to cough, my chest is heaving, and a spasm moves through me, shakes me so hard I lose my grip. My head convulses as my body is trying to get somewhere safe, and my eyes shoot open even though I don't want them to. Sunlight ripples above me from the edges of the pool. Beautiful half-moons of yellow, and I can almost smell the air above, taste it. The green of the oak tree that stands next to the pool sways in and out. White, puffy clouds hang above us. He's just out of reach, maybe two feet away from my outstretched hand, twirling like a football in slow motion, like I've just tossed him through the air. A tiny, twirling dancer, Julian no longer looks to the sky above.